Good morning. May the Lord bless you. My response to this awesome time of worship is God, even if I had a thousand tongues to sing, I couldn't do justice to your greatness, your majesty, your love, and just for the person who you are. But the Lord knows the intention of our hearts. Amen. Brothers and sisters, uh, Andres asked me to uh, just give you a short update on uh, our Ukraine situation. Uh, you know, we are so far removed from the war zone, and uh, it so easily can happen that. Uh, this situation in Ukraine can become irritating news as happened with the COVID pandemic. Because every time we looked at, turned on the TV, it was just COVID, 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 and up to here. So if all this can just pass, then we can live our normal lives again. But now is the time to really hold on to God and trust Him for a miracle to happen in Ukraine. Why? Because what about the possibility that this war could spool over to the war of Ezekiel 38-39? You do yourself a favor and go read those two chapters. If you read them, you'll find out how near we are to the end. This should be a sobering thought. And it should force us to rethink the way that we should conduct and live our lives. Uh, we have sort of most uh, daily contact with our brothers and sisters there in the churches in the Ukraine. Now, friends, my interpreter for many years, his name is uh, Roman Sutnik, uh, because of his eyesight, he was never drafted into the army so he could leave the country. Him and his wife have now just sort of escaped to uh, uh, Norway. And uh, now I write letters to the church, to the churches in the Ukraine and Russia. Then I send it, my wife sends it to Roman in Norway. He translates it within an hour into Russian and to Ukraine, sends it back to us, and then we send it to all the churches in Ukraine and in, uh, in Russia. So we have that feedback from them. Uh, Shofar Church. As a Shofar Church, we have become involved in supporting three main churches that we identified uh, through, with prayer and financial support. Now, those three churches have, are actively involved in helping refugees fleeing to safer havens, especially in the, in the West, or to leave the country in the meantime. You can, can you imagine the heartbreak of having to leave your husband and your sons with the thought of maybe never seeing them again. Yet wherever those refugees go, they proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now we've identified these three churches and they help these people with food, accommodation, and clothing, and medicine. And that's where the financial support comes in. In the West we've got in the, in the city of Ternopil, we've got uh, Pastor Volodya 
uh, Khabarov. Uh, he's doing a great work in Kiev, we, uh, the city which is under siege and which Putin really wants. There's uh, Viktor Polunin. Uh, he's actually a Russian himself, but his heart is with the Ukrainians. He married the Ukrainian uh, girl, and uh, he's doing a great work there. And uh, then here in the south, we've got Sergei Tsalko from Dnieper. They're also doing a great work. And I want to thank you so much for your prayers. Lisa was telling me that most of the uh, intercession times was mostly praying for the Ukraine. Thank you. I'm, I know God is hearing our prayers. And for those who have contributed financially, man, this church is the A-team. Thank you so much on behalf of the your brothers and sisters in the Ukraine. Father God, what a, what a privilege that we can still unashamedly worship you and praise you for who you are. We have no fear of persecution. We live in safety to bring honor and glory to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Father, if you are using Ukraine as an example that we should prepare ourselves if the same persecution should come to us, help us, Lord, to fix our eyes firmly on you and that you will find us faithful the day that you return. In Jesus' name. Amen. As I said this morning, I haven't missed one of the sermons of the series, Are You Ready? And it, is, it was such a powerful series. And uh, I would like to add one more aspect to that series. Now this war between Russia and Ukraine could lead to the war of Ezekiel 38-39. And uh, with wars and rumors of wars and problems, so then, how should we conduct our lives? I read to you Matthew 6, verse 25 in the Living Bible. So my counsel is, don't worry about things, food, drink, and clothes, for you already have life and a body. They are far more important than what to eat and wear. Look at the birds. They don't worry about what to eat. They don't need to sow or reap or store of food, for your heavenly Father feeds them, and you are far more valuable to him than they are. Will all your worries add a single moment to your life? And then he says, the end of this uh, in the Living Bible, he says, but your heavenly Father already knows perfectly well what you need them, that you need them, and he will give them to you. Listen carefully. If you give him first place in your life and live as he wants you to, so don't be anxious about tomorrow. God will take care of you tomorrow too. Live one day at a time. The Afrikaans, the Afrikaans say, Vandaagse moeilijkheden is vir een dag heel te mal genoeg. I don't think there's not one of us here this morning that haven't given a thought to this. Even, you know, with uh, uh, what's happening there, 
What will affect us? Should we stock up with petrol and diesel? Should we buy extra food, toilet paper? What should I do with my investment and my money? Should I buy gold or silver or Bitcoin? Or should I hide it under the bed? What will I do? Psalm 23, verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. My brother says, There is so much need in the world today. Just here in our own doorstep and all over our country. Look what is happening in the Ukraine. Is this the time to acquire more riches for ourselves? Or are we going to live our lives as he wants us to live and invest in the kingdom of God instead? A little while ago, my wife and I watched a documentary on the most dangerous prisons in the world. It's about the experience of uh, a British man who was sentenced to life in prison for a murder which he had not committed. And only after 12 years, spending 12 years in prison, was he eventually found not guilty and he was acquitted. And then he was led by the Lord to visit all over the world the most dangerous prisons, living as an inmate and uh, uh, as a fellow convict and uh, with the orange overall living among them for about two weeks listening to each inmate's story encouraging them and praying for them now incidentally the first episode we watched was about the most dangerous prison in South Africa Brandfle in Worcester there together in one cell was gathered gangs 26, 27 and 28 the members of those gangs all in the same cell with him some of those will die in prison life sentence, no parole and any one of those uh, uh, inmates aspired to be, become a leader in the cell but the top dog they have to draw blood to be able to become a leader. But the top dog, he must draw the blood of a prison warden before he can become the leader of the cell. But this morning I want to introduce you to the most populated prison in the world. This facility has more inmates than bunks, more prisoners than plates, more residents than resources. And I want to invite you to come with me to the world's most oppressive prison. Then just look at the inmates and they will tell you. They are overworked and underfed. Their walls are bare and bunks are hard. No prison so populated. No prison so oppressive. And what's more, no prison so permanent. Most inmates never leave. They never escape. They never get released. They serve a life sentence 
in this overcrowded, under-provisioned facility. The name of the prison, you'll find it, you'll see it over the entrance, over the gate, four cast iron letters that spell out its name. And it's not Polsmoor or Victor Verster or Brandvlei, but want. The prison of want. You have seen her prisoners. They are all in want. They want something. They want something bigger. They want something nicer. They want something faster. Something thinner. But they want. They don't want much, mind you. They just want one thing. One new job. One new car. One new house. One new spouse. They don't want much. They just want one. And when they have one, they will be happy. And they are right. They will be happy. When they have one, they will leave prison. But then it happens. The new car smells disappear. Scratch marks on the paint. The new job gets old. The neighbors buy a larger TV set. The new spouse has bad habits. The excitement quickly blows over. And before you know it, another ex-con breaks parole and returns to jail. May I ask you this question? Are you in prison? You are if you feel better when you have more and worse when you have less. You are in prison if joy is one delivery or surprise away, one transfer away, one award away, or one makeover away. If your happiness comes from something you deposit, or you drive, or you drink, or you digest, then face it, you are in prison, the prison of want. Now that's the bad news. The good news is that we have a visitor. And your visitor can have your parole with his message. I invite you to make your way to the receiving room in this prison. Take your seat and have a look at the, at the person sitting across you, the, psalm, the psalmist David. And he motions for you to come here and he says, I have a secret to tell you. And he whispers, the secret of satisfaction. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want David had found a pasture where discontent goes to die. It is as if he is saying, listen carefully, what I have in God is greater than what I don't have in life. Can I repeat it? What we have in God is greater than what we don't have in life. Do you think you and I could learn to say the same? Think for just a moment about the things you own. Think about the house you have. 
the car you drive, the money you have saved. Think about the jewelry that you have inherited and the stocks you have traded and the clothes you have purchased. And I must tell you, a few days ago, because of the fear of fraud, our credit cards were blocked. And my wife and I couldn't draw any money. So yesterday, eventually, we got hold of the fraud department of the, of the bank. And they said, they just, just have to verify if I'm the right person, ask questions. Do you own a house? Yes. Is it paid for? Yes. Do you own a car? Yes. Paid for? Yes. Do you owe any other money? No. Do you owe the bank any money? No. And he carried on. I thought, my goodness, I'm stinking rich. That this guy has disclosed to me how much I have. My brothers and sisters, envision all your stuff. And let me remind you of two biblical truths. First one, your stuff isn't yours. Ask any coroner, any, ask any embalmer or any funeral home director. No one takes anything with him or her. When one of the wealthiest men on earth, John D. Rockefeller, died, his accountant was asked, how much did John D. leave? The accountant replied, all of it. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. Job 1 verse 21. All that stuff is not yours. And you know what else about all that stuff? The second truth, it's not you. Who you are has nothing to do with the clothes you wear or the car you drive. Luke 12 verse 15 says, Jesus said, Life is not defined but by what you have, even when you have a lot. Charles Spurgeon said, My faith rests not in what I am or shall be, or feel or know, but in what Christ is, in what he has done and what he is doing now doing for me and in me. Regardless of the life labels we have allowed to define who we are, we only have one true identity, the person God hardwired us to be. We are not defined but what, by, by what we do for a living, whether I'm a doctor, engineer, a pastor, teacher, sales assistant, or who we are married to, how much money we make, the losses we have endured, or anything of these other things the world tries to label us with. We were created by God, for God, and until we understand this foundational truth, life and its losses, will, uh, losses we endure will never make sense. Our identity and value are found in Christ alone, not in the life labels other people hang on us, or that we hang on ourselves. The circumstances that have transpired in order to bring us to this season in your life do not define you. You are defined by your identity as a beloved child of God. 1 John 3 verse 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are.
child of God is the greatest and truest label we can ever have. We are who God made us to be and that alone is what defines us. Above all else, the only way for us to know who we are is to know our Creator by experience and not by knowledge. We know Him, to know Him is to know the truth and in that truth we discover who we are and that changes everything. Experiencing Him strengthens my faith. Now Ezekiel 14 verse 4 says this, I will personally deal with anyone who worships idols and then comes to me for help. Is there anything you are putting ahead of God? Sometimes it's hard to tell one of the ways, but one of the ways is to know, is to ask yourself, would I be willing to give this thing up if God asked me to? When God asked Abram to sacrifice his son Isaac, he wasn't asking for a human sacrifice from Abram, especially when he condemned it in the surrounding heathen nations. No, he just wanted to know. Is there anything you love so much that you would put it before me? Is there anything I could ever ask that you wouldn't give? Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. When he gets that, he says in Psalm 84, verse 11, No good thing will, I, will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Child of God, is he number one? in your life today. Heaven does not know you as a fellow with a nice suit or the woman with a big house or the boy with a big with a new bike. Heaven knows your heart. 1 Samuel 16 verse 7 says The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. The other day we had such a wonderful testimony about one of our kids. We had six of our own, and then six were added, so I've got 12. I love them equally. But one of my daughters is exceptionally beautiful. And this friend of ours, two or three days ago, she testified, she says, she came up to this, this daughter of ours and she says, you know, you are one of the most, or you are the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. And my daughter answered, I hope you were looking at my heart because this will decay but what's in my heart will live forever. That's true beauty from within. When God thinks of you, He may see your compassion, your devotion, your tenderness, your quick mind, 
He may see you visiting the sick and those in prison, caring for orphans and widows. But he never ever thinks of your things. And when you think of it, we should either define yourself by your stuff and you'll feel good when you have a lot and bad when you don't. Contentment comes when you can honestly say with Paul, Philippians 4 verse 12 through 11, I've learned to be satisfied with the things I have. I know how to live when I'm poor and I know how to live when I have plenty. I read the story about the leper on the island of Tobago. A short-term missionary met her on a mission trip. On the final day, he was leading the worship in this leper colony. And uh, he asked if anyone had a favorite song. Excuse me. When he did, a woman turned around and he saw the most disfigured face he'd ever seen. She had no ears. She had no nose. Her lips were gone. And she raised a fingerless hand. She says, yes. Could we sing, count your blessings? Initially started the song but couldn't finish it. Someone later commented, I suppose you'll never be able to sing that song again. He answered, no, no, I'll sing it again, but never in the same way. Are you hoping that a change in circumstances will bring a change in your attitude? If so, you are in prison and you need to learn the secret of traveling light. I repeat, when we have in our shepherd, what we have in our shepherd is greater than what we don't have in life. May I meddle a moment with your minds? What is the one thing that's separating you from joy? How would you fill in this blank? Okay. He says, I will be happy when? When I'm healed? When I'm promoted? When I'm married? Or when I'm single again? When I'm rich? When I drive that 4x4? When I have that new house? How would you finish that statement? Now with your answer firmly in mind, answer this. If your ship never comes in, if your dream never comes true, if the situation never changes, could you be happy? If not, my brother and sister, then you are sleeping in the cold cell of discontent. You are in prison and you need to know what you have in your shepherd. Listen, what do we have in our shepherd? You have a God who hears you. The power of love behind you. The Holy Spirit within you. And all of heaven ahead of you. If you have the shepherd, you have grace for every sin. Direction for every turn. 
A candle for every corner. And an anchor for every storm. You have everything you need. And who can take it from you? Can leukemia infect your salvation? Can bankruptcy impoverish your prayers? A tornado may take your eternal, your, your earthly house, but will it touch your heavenly home? And look at your position. Why clamor for prestige and power? Are you not already privileged to be part of the greatest work in history? The church of Jesus Christ. My goodness. The fellowship I enjoy here. The friends who have become even closer to me than my own family. I've experienced so much love here. What more do I need? I know I'm going to read you something which you, it was very popular on, on internet, so maybe you've heard that, but for those who haven't. A pastor was asked to speak at the Rotary Club meeting and he knew he would be asked about his profession. And he decided to say more than, uh, oh, I'm a preacher. Instead he explained, hi, I am, say, Tom Jones. I'm with a global enterprise. We have branches in every country in the world. We have uh, representatives in nearly every parliament and boardroom on earth. We're in the motivation and behavioral uh, alteration. We run hospitals, feeding stations, crisis pregnancy centers, universities, publishing houses, and nursing homes. We care for our clients from birth to death, that is from the cradle to the grave. We are in the life insurance and fire insurance. We perform spiritual heart transplants. Our original organizer owns all the real estate on earth, plus an assortment of galaxies and constellations. He knows everything and lives everywhere. Our product is free for the asking. There is not enough money to buy it. Our CEO was born in a hick town, worked as a carpenter, didn't own a home, was misunderstood by his family and hated by his enemies, walked in the water, was condemned to death without a trial and arose from the dead. I talk with him every day. If we can say the same, don't we have reason to be content? We have our faith. We have our character, our salvation. We have all the things that really matter. You and I can pray like the Puritan. See if I was a little self-assonder he sat down to a meal of dry bread and a glass of water and he prayed he says God all this and Jesus too can't we be equally content First Timothy 6 verse 6 Paul says that godliness with contentment is great gain when Delesi and I went through the Ukraine the first time in 1995, we found that the Christians there were as poor as church mice. After the fall of communism, they owned nothing. But when they found Jesus, or rather when they were found by him, 
they acted and thought themselves as stinking rich. Their boldness for Christ and the joy of their salvation was something to behold. And 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 6 verse 6 became a revelation to, to me. Godliness with contentment is great gain. In South Africa, we've got godliness, but the discontentment and complain about everything. Man, during those worship services, I mean like this morning, how wonderful it was. But then they would dance, they would shout for joy. They would, and if I said, let us pray, they would hit the ground and they would pray aloud in the spirit as if the roof was going to lift and they wouldn't stop until I said amen all for Christ they gave, they gave everything when we surrender to God the heavy cumbersome sack of discontent we don't just give up something we gain something in closing my brothers and sisters God replaces it with a lightweight, tailor-made, sorrow-resistant bag of gratitude. What will you gain with contentment? You may gain your marriage. My broer, sister, my broer, wees dankbaar. My sister, wees dankbaar for the man and vrouw for the Heere jou gegeet. You may gain precious hours with your children. You may gain your self-respect. You may gain joy. You may gain the faith to say, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Try saying it slowly with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Again. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If you really meant that, I believe I've just heard a few cell doors being opened. Let us pray. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you this day to repent of our discontentment. Thank you for our health that is a wealth. Thank you for our homes, our transport, our food and clothing. Most of us have more than enough. Lord, but this morning I want to ask that you will cause us all to become discontented with our lack for leading lost souls to Christ. We forget that we overcome the enemy by the word of our testimony and by the blood of the Lamb. Naked we come into this world and naked we will leave. But there is one thing that we can take with us and that is precious souls for the kingdom of God. Jesus, when you died on the cross, you were stripped naked. No earthly goods. 
But you paved the way for millions to come into the kingdom of God. Lord, may this be our desire, the fulfillment of the gospel. In Jesus' name, Amen.